0: Alright, well good morning everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. Good. As you know my name is Josh. I'm the the minister here at ACC. I want to start us off with a a little bit of a back-and-forth discussion question. I want you to take a moment and I don't care how far back in time you have to go. I want you to think of somebody you know personally who you regard as wise. close relationship. Maybe it was a a father figure. Maybe it was was a coach or a teacher. Uh, Maybe it was your mom. Think about that person. You're having a conversation with that person who you believe is wise. Describe them for me. Someone go ahead and shout it out. Describe describe that person who's wise. Very patient. Know how to listen. Ah. There's a lot going on there So you're, you're, you're describing this wise person As somebody who is maybe thoughtful They don't just jump to conclusions They don't just say the first thing That comes to their mind My dad always used to say God gave you two ears and one mouth For a reason Because you should be twi- doing twice as much listening As you are speaking That's good Somebody else, who else, somebody who is wise And you can tell me who it was if you want too I know for me, I can think of a couple of of coaches that I had uh, back in school who I thought were very wise, and yeah, they fit that bill. They were were generally centered, not much moved them. So you have this picture in your mind of this wise person, and I want you to kind of be thinking about that person, Uh, and we're gonna look at our Psalms series. We're going through our series called Selah, where we're just going to do a little sprinkling all the way through the psalms, looking at all of these different genres and styles of psalms. And today we're going to look at a very special kind of psalm called a wisdom psalm. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm 37. And I kind of want to just jump right in to the passage and and read through it and experience this psalm, and then we will go back and we'll, we'll talk about it. And so as we're going through these series, as we're reading through these psalms, I highly encourage you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable, to exhibit a posture of prayer to God, a posture of humility to God, and and I don't want us to study these psalms, I want us to experience these psalms the way you would a a great piece of music, a great work of art. I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 1, and like I say, I just encourage you to just Have that deep connection with God and say, all right, God, we're going to listen to this song together. And I'm going to open up my Bible to Psalm chapter 1. We're just going to read it. It's a really short psalm. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So this is an example of a wisdom psalm. It's another style, another genre. Last week we looked at a praised psalm. Wisdom psalms are in a lot of ways, they're kind of like a proverb, a long proverb that would have been set to music. You read them differently. You experience them differently. When we think about the Bible and the books of the Bible that are considered wisdom literature, right? We think about Proverbs. Maybe Job fits that bill of a wisdom book. Ecclesiastes is another one. And one of the things that when we we read wisdom literature, whether it's wisdom poetry like here in Psalms or some of Job or the wisdom books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, there's a couple of, of really important notes that we need to take note of when we read them. And the first is that a piece of wisdom literature in the Bible is something that describes a general truth. That means... It's a whole truth, even when we can find examples to the contrary. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a a straight-up example here from the psalm we read. The person who delights in the law of the Lord, verse 3, whatever they do prospers. Well, I can think of examples that maybe don't always match that criteria. I can think of a lot of people who are wise in the way of the Lord, and we have to understand that wisdom literature, is general truths, even when we can find examples to the contrary. Here's here's a really simple example of, of something from our modern culture. You can go ahead and finish it for me. An apple a day keeps the, right. I can eat an apple every single day and still end up getting hit by a truck and go the doctor, right? Okay. But it's a general truth that if you eat healthy food, you will have to go to the doctor less. So that's what we're looking at. Um, another example from the, the actual book of Proverbs. I just picked this one at random here, actually. Uh, Proverbs 20:13 says, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake, and you will have food to spare. This is a general truth. Most of the time, if you wake up early, if you get a good start to the day, if you go to work, if you put in a hard day's work, and you get a good sleep at night, you're going to be successful. Does that mean that every single person who wakes up early and and gets a good sleep at night is going to be successful every single time? No. We understand that. There's plenty of rich, successful people who work the night shift... And there's plenty of people who are falling on hard times even though they're getting up and they're waking up early and they're hustling. But we don't, what we don't do is we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's another general truth, by the way, that we use in our modern culture. We don't throw the baby out with the bath water. And that's going to be important a little bit later as we come through in Psalm 37. But I want you to keep that principle in the back of your mind as we're reading through this, these wisdom psalms. What's interesting about the way we describe a wise person, and when we look at what the Bible talks about as somebody who is wise, by and large, somebody is considered wise, biblically, based on one single criteria. Whether or not they listen to and obey God's Word. Like, if you went through all of the wisdom books of the Bible, and you just boiled it down to the main take-home point, you would find that wisdom is associated with righteousness by listening and doing what God says. And foolishness is synonymous with unrighteousness by disobeying God. Unwise people are those who decide not to do what God asks, but who just follow their own path. Follow their own road. And look at this Look at this beautiful picture here in the Psalms of, of how the Bible describes somebody who is wise versus somebody who is unwise. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of sinners, or stand in the way sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Notice that beautiful imagery. You don't walk in evil, you don't sit in evil, you don't stand in evil. Those pretty much cover all of the positions, right? I mean, maybe lay down, but we probably shouldn't lay down in evil either, should we? The alternative to walking in evil, standing in evil, sitting in evil, is to what? To delight in God's law. To delight in his word, to meditate on the law. Somebody who is considered wise, that wise person you know who was slow to act, quick to listen. Chances are they were that way because they were steeped in God's word. So I challenge you guys this morning. This week, if you don't do this already, when you wake up in the morning, I challenge everybody here, before you go make your coffee, before you shower, before you get yourself ready in the morning you to keep your Bible by your nightstand, and I want you to have a passage of Scripture ready to go first thing in the morning when you wake up. I want you to steep yourself in God's Word, and just spend five minutes in God's Word, and just meditate on it. This is really easy. We're going through the book of Psalms. Psalms are really easy to just wake up and just jump right into. And and what's great is if you have your Bible like this and you put your finger right in the middle, chances are you're going to land on a psalm. It's perfect. I want you to do that every morning if you can. And, And don't try to understand it. Don't try to study it. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to take notes on it. Just read it. Meditate on it. Read it over and over. And then simply just delight in it. Find joy in God's Word. And what you will find is that if you do that, you will gain wisdom. You will grow simply through immersing yourself in God's word, by delighting on his law and meditating on it day and night. I I reference this to uh, the the song we sang earlier, When you grow in wisdom, when you grow in God's word, you become like a tree planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. I'll tell you a story about a man who planted two trees, two oak trees. A pin oak and a bur oak. The man goes out and he plants both trees at the same time. And they're both oak trees, but just a different type of oak tree. And so as they're growing, as they're germinating and starting to become this little bitty tree, the, the acorn that the man uses looks almost identical. The leaves that come up out of the ground right at the beginning look almost identical. But if you know anything about oak trees and these particular types of oak trees. Well, a pin oak grows at about twice the speed as a bur oak. So this man, he plants these two trees, he waters both of the trees, and after that first season, the pin oak is about twice as tall. It's about two feet tall, whereas that bur oak is only about a foot. And the pin oak looks over at the bur oak and says, I guess some of us are just better trees than others. As a season goes by, the winter comes, the leaves fall off. The next spring, both oaks grow, and that pin oak grows another two feet. It's about four feet tall now, and that bur oak is only two feet. And this goes on for a couple different seasons, and the pin oak keeps looking over at the bur oak and says, I guess some of us are just better trees than others. Well, finally, one spring... The farmer decides that the time has come that he doesn't have to go out and water these trees anymore. Because if you ever planted trees, you know that there comes a time in which you don't have to go out and keep that tree watered. It'll get its own water from the roots, and you can just let it grow. So that spring, he decides, now is the time I'm going to let these trees grow on their own. And that spring, it starts to get a little bit warm outside, and the leaves on that pin oak start to get just a little bit yellow. It doesn't grow quite as fast grows a foot. As it gets a little bit into summer, those leaves start to get a little bit crinkly, a little bit dry, and the burr oak is healthy. Finally, it gets to fall, and both of the leaves on both trees fall off for the winter. And that next spring, the burr oak leaves another foot. The pin oak? It's leaves don't bud. Here's the thing about bur oaks and pin oaks. Pin oaks grow at twice the rate as burr oaks above the ground. Bur oaks grow at three times the rate as pin oaks in the roots. So all that time while these trees were growing, the pin oak was shooting up like this and it was neglecting its roots, whereas the bur oak was putting all of its time and all of its energy into the roots because when the time came when that water dried up, the bur oak was able to access the water it needed and the pin oak didn't. When we spend time in God's word when we spend time meditating on the law, when we spend time in relationship with God, what we are doing is we are growing our roots so that we can be firm and planted in our faith. So that when the water dries up, when the wind starts to blow, when troubles come our way, we have already spent that time growing our roots. We are firm in our relationship with God. Wisdom is. That person you know who was slow to speak, quick to listen, it's because they were rooted in God. They were rooted in truth. I invite you to to turn to our second psalm this morning. It's going to be Psalm 37. This one's a little bit longer, but I I think it's going to be worth it if we just read through it. So again, I, I encourage you, if you want to read along with me, that's great. If you want to close your eyes and just experience this psalm, do that as well. Read Psalm 37. It says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like dawn, vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow and bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In times of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field they will be consumed, they will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the world delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always, they are always generous and lend freely. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land for the ever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but soon, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace, but all sinners will be destroyed, for there will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. It's a long psalm. There's a lot going on there about the righteous and the wicked. It starts off, do not fret of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass they will soon wither like green plants they will soon die away trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture that enjoy safe pasture your Bible might say something like befriend faithfulness or it might say uh, you will be fed uh, there's a lot of different versions there it, it literally says the can get from the Hebrew to the English is pasture faithfulness. Or or maybe you could say graze on faith or feed on faith. It's a really hard one to get from Hebrew into English. But it's, it's this imagery of sheep on pasture, And it's unclear from the original language whether the idea is that we are the sheep and we are feeding on God's faithfulness and it is filling us up, or whether it's supposed to be that we are the shepherd and we are feeding our flock on faith. The flock, of course, would be our our spiritual self, our soul. We're feeding our soul on faith, on the faith that we feed it. And and as with so many things in poetry and and literature like that, it's probably a both-and situation. We are both feeding our faith and also feeding on God's faithfulness. But when we are immersed in God's word, we are cultivating our faith. When we're grazing on faith, we are taking that tree, we are feeding it, and we are allowing our roots to grow deeper and deeper. And at the same time, we are feeding on God's faithfulness. It's giving us what we need to have faith. Life, We're grazing on faith. And the wisdom that we get from this psalm is that if we do that, if we graze on faith, God will watch over us. And if we don't, if we abandon Him, there's going to be judgment. That's the general take-home from Psalm 37 here. But... Here's the thing that I find really difficult. And I think we all struggle with this at times. This this general wisdom that we talked about where we can think of something that's generally true but then we can also think of examples to the contrary. That's what Psalm 37 is all about. Psalm Psalm 37 is giving us an answer to this question. If God promises us that if we're faithful he'll take care of us. If we're faithful he'll watch over us. And if we're wicked we're going to have trouble. Well then why is it that I can look in the world. That's hard, isn't it? Let's, okay, let's, let's get real here for a second. Right now, today, there are people who are making millions of dollars through illegal drug smuggling. In 2020, the DEA seized over 550 tons of narcotics coming into our country. 550 tons. And that's, that's just the people who got caught. Imagine how much hurt and pain is flowing through our country because people are making millions off the backs of people with addictions. There are people in this world today who are immensely wealthy through human trafficking. Kidnapping rings, child trafficking, slave trades. These are all things that are happening right now. You wanna talk about wicked? You wanna talk about evil? That's pure evil in the world. We're not, we're not talking about, oh, you know, sometimes uh, I go out back and I smoke a cigarette, or, or sometimes I step my toe when a four letter word slips out. We're not talking about that kind of evil. We're talking about wickedness. And I will be the first to show my weakness as a Christian here. The Bible says do not fret over wickedness and evil. I will just show my weakness. I do fret about that. I do more than fret about it. I get mad. Mad is probably the nicest word that I can use to describe that. So when I read Psalm 37 and it says, do not fret, literally in the Hebrew it says, do not get heated, don't fan the fire. That's what the idiom is there. That's the time where I have to have that conversation with God and just sit down with Him and say, God, how? How do you expect me to not get upset, to not get angry when I see millionaires and billionaires on private jets doing wicked, evil, detestable things to the most vulnerable people on earth on private islands somewhere with no recourse? How am I supposed to be okay with that, God? And I trust God's word. I believe in what God says, but I have a moment where I say, God, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. God says, trust in the Lord and do good. Okay, God. I will trust in you and I will do good. As much as that angers me, as much as I fret over that, my job is not to enact justice. That is God's job. Trust in him and do good. Paul says in in Romans 12, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine, that's him, not me, mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Part of Biblical wisdom is being able to look around at the evil that exists in the world and having the wisdom to step aside and trust that God is good and God is just. No matter how much I want to go and be an agent of God's wrath, that's not my job. That's His job. I need to trust in him and focus on doing good. I have this lane, and I need to stay in that lane and leave the judgment to him. He knows the hearts of men. He knows where people are. He knows when somebody repents fully, and they have been made clean, and he will handle that in his own way. And he knows when somebody wants to stay wicked and evil, and he will handle that in his own way. That's God's job, not mine. Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. Don't fan the flames when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. Don't fan the flames. Why? It only leads to evil. When we allow our anger to overtake us, when we retaliate, when we sin in anger, guess what? Satan wins twice. Because he's already corrupted one person. He's already led another person into evil and wickedness. And you know what happens? He's already infected that one soul. And if we fall into that trap and we get angry and we retaliate, Satan's just waiting for that. He gets a two-for-one deal. We don't don't talk about God's wrath a lot because it makes us uncomfortable. But it's a real part of Scripture that exists. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we want a God who is just. We want a God who enacts justice when we see the evil that exists in the world. We don't want a God who just turns a blind eye to sin and lets anything happen to any person, no matter how vulnerable they are. There's something deeply ingrained in us that wants God to be just. I think the problem, the reason we don't talk about it is because we want a God who is wrathful. We just don't want that wrath enacted on ourselves. But that's a whole other issue that we could have a full sermon all about. The takeaway is that we can trust in God. We can trust in His mercy and His justice because He cares for the least of us. Verse 9 says, For those who are evil will be destroyed but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land a little while and the wicked will be no more though you look for them they will not be found the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity we see throughout this psalm that our instructions are to be patient with God because the wicked will receive justice just not from us and we see this, this phrase repeated over and over, inherit the land, inherit the land. The whole people who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In, in the language, it's, it's a word that also could mean earth. It is, in fact, exactly the psalm that Jesus is quoting in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, the meek will inherit the earth. And that phrase is used five times in this psalm. Inherit the land. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see something that's repeated five times, there should be little alarm bells going off in your brain. Ding, 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 ding. This is important. God said it five times already. Maybe I should start paying attention. In case you wanted to highlight that, it's in verses 9, 11, 22, 29, and 34. Inherit the land. Real side note, could somebody uh, go... Uh, send a message to bring our kids up. Uh, those who hope in the land will inherit the earth. Inherit the land. The meek will inherit the earth. The ones the Lord blesses will inherit the earth. The righteous will inherit the earth. Hope in the Lord. Keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the earth. Notice a pattern here about the people who are going to inherit the land, people who are going to inherit the earth. Those who trust in God. Those who immerse themselves in God, who obey God. And to to an ancient Jewish audience, to David's original audience, the land is probably Jerusalem that they're thinking about. They're thinking about the actual nation of Israel. We might be sent to Babylon someday. We might be attacked by our enemies, but we are going to inherit this physical piece of property. Well, as Christians, we have an understanding that Inheriting the earth takes on a completely new meaning when we think about the return of Christ. It's not just a 200-mile-long piece of physical property. God's going to institute a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where there's no sin, there's no suffering, there is no human trafficking, there is no illegal drug trade. Every tear is wiped. There is no pain. That's the earth that we're going to inherit, but we have to trust Him. We have to trust in the Lord and do good. We've got to trust Him even when we think that our world is falling apart. Even when we look around and we see evil and we see wickedness in the world, biblical wisdom is trusting that God is in control of all things He's got it handled. The road we have to walk on is trusting in Him and doing good. That's the path that's laid before us. And there's only two paths, by the way. There's this idea in our culture that everyone can just go their own way, follow your heart. It's the worst piece of advice. Don't ever. If anybody tells you follow your heart, Stop. Yeah, you do you. There are, the Bible tells us, there are exactly two and only two paths. All the way back to Psalm 1. It says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Way is another word for path, road. The Lord watches over the road of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's two. One might look very enticing, and you get to see a lot of sights, but there's two roads. There's the road where you seek God. There's the road where you meditate on his law, day and night, and you're humble, and you wait patiently for him. There's the road where you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, and you dedicate every ounce of your being to him. There's that road or there's the other one. And there is no in-between. There is no third road. There is no, well, I'm just going to walk my own path and do my own thing. There's the road that leads to God, and there's the other road, and there are no other roads. And to be wise, frankly, to be wise is to be on the right road, to pick the right path. In God's word, if we let our roots grow deep, if we pick the path that leads to God, we will find biblical wisdom. Trust in the Lord and do good. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise your name above all names. We praise your being above Everything that ever has existed ever will exist and everything that exists right now. God, we praise you and we raise up our praises to you. God, we thank you so much for the wisdom that comes from your word. We thank you that you give us the instructions we need to stay on the right path. God, we just ask you, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to be wise in your way. We believe, Lord. We ask that you would just help us to overcome our unbelief. We ask that you would help us to trust that you are in control. You know what you're doing. You created this entire universe. And God, we just ask for you to give us the strength to put our faith and our trust in you. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this day that you created. We thank you that you allow us to be in it. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who washes us clean. We pray all of these things in his name, in his name alone. And the church said, Amen. Amen.